This is the Tea Health Show, your medical lifestyle podcast, brought to you by the Tea Clinic, hosted by Dr. Mark. I'm Dr. Mark. This is the Tea Health Show, and today we're talking about movement and the necessity thereof for children to learn. And in studio, I have Dr. Melanie Jacobs. Uh, Dr. Jacobs, Melanie. Thank you, Mark. Uh, hi, it's nice being back. Yes, it's wonderful to have you here. And um, part of our tea clinic team, Yvonne um, van Weyck, our neuroplasticity and neurotherapist. Um, Sims, how are you? I'm awesome as usual. How are you? Can't complain. Thank you. Okay, so um, Yvonne, we were sitting um, and talking the other day about children and for children especially that you see and some of the children that come through the practice and the inability to cross from left to right, et cetera, et cetera. And we stumbled upon, not stumbled upon, and we started talking about the essential need for children to move in order to learn. Right, Mark. I, I think every parent in today's time that has learned to cope during COVID with an iPad or a TV screen has immense amounts of guilt because they know their children should be moving more. They know that their children should be busy outside or doing chores or moving or jumping and, and running. But we have this coping mechanism where we put our children in front of a screen and as long as it's educational, we think they're going to be okay. But movement truly is how our children learn to take the world in, the messages through their senses, how far things are, how big things are, what forces needed to move it. They then process that, which in itself is is the learning process. It's how we program our brain. Mm. Um, and that then comes out in our muscle, in our movement. And we experiment constantly through movement, and that is how it affects education. That's how we, we build learning is through taking in information, processing it, testing it through movement, and then correcting, self-correcting. So this is where I want to bring um, Melanie in. Um, Melanie, I just want to give a little bit of a background. So one of the degrees that you have is that of a degree in optometry. That's correct. And your PhD you did in higher education. Yes. Um, so we had Prof. Yanni Ferreira, who is a mentor for the both of us, um, in studio once where we spoke about the importance of vision in learning difficulties. And when Yvonne and I were talking about this, we immediately said that we want to bring you in here because of your expertise as um, a sports person who coached people on international level. You were a sports um, woman yourself. And then your background in vision, the essential necessity of being able to visualize and then translating that into um, learning. Your thoughts about giving our children at a young age uh, a screen where they usually swipe left or right or up or down instead of moving hands, arms, legs, 
What, what, what? Yeah, you see this, uh, we call it the digital babysitter because it's, it's the easiest way. Everything's been done. Um, you don't engage anything else in your eyes and a little bit of hearing. And that's what happens. And it's, it's really, there is such a lot of disadvantages to have a kid in front of a screen. Obviously they use it for learning. We know that. Um, in, in none of the schools that I work with, uh, kids don't use either a laptop or a tablet. So, and we know the phones, like constantly on their phones, whether they are three or four, like my grandson who can swipe and tell me another screen, please, or he wants that one. They know exactly what's happening and let alone any, anybody who's in uh, the higher grades. Let's go back to what Yvonne said. How do we, Absorb new knowledge with skills. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of things happening in our brain, but we've got to get it in there. And I, I think let's start with gross motor. That's muscles. That's why kids crawl before they walk. <coughs> there's a sequence. There's a progression. And I think a lot of these playing outside on jungle gyms, uh, skipping, all of these very f mo gross motor that implicates and has an impact on our fine motor skills. Mm. We shouldn't forget that you start off with gross motor, crossing the midline, left, right, then go to finer motor skills, writing, feeling. And we're not even saying anything about the senses, which we'll get to just now. So left, right would be passing one th something from one hand to exactly. the other hand. Exactly. Or, or keeping it in one hand, but not needing to turn your entire body in order to pass it to the opposite side. Being able to cross that midline without so using your, your nose. Yeah. Which Correct. is a spatial awareness. I, you sort of know it's going that way. You don't have to turn, as Yvonne says, to, to know where it is. You've got this awareness and this pros, proprioception right. that it's going to be there. So I, I like the words proprioception and spatial awareness. Simpiwe. Yes. When... We grew up, and I don't know whether this is still the case. I, I, I know Melanie's grandson, Daniel, and I've never seen him in a walk ring. But when we grew up, we had these little rings. That, like hula-hoops? No. Oh, no. That <laughs> we sat in. Walkers. It was a walker. And what you did, it had little wheels. Okay. And it, it was like being in one of the Flintstone cars. You, you could do this with your feet. And you would run around everywhere and you wouldn't fall. But back then, I remember people saying, take the kid out of a walk yeah. ring because right. they don't develop the skills for balance, etc., etc. Well, et or put the weight on their feet so they can have hoop legs. So it's, 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 it's still not, I mean, advisable to have them. But remember, everything is too much. Too much of anything is bad. I'm not saying a tablet is bad. I'm saying too much of it and exactly the same. If you don't move all your limbs, your head, yeah. your spine is not developing. Not, it's not just the spine. You have all these neurosensors in your skin and your skin is your biggest organ. And that organ is 
where you get the most information in. So the bottom of your feet tells you where you are. If you don't learn to walk, so if you're in the walker, you have a false sense of security because you're walking, but you're not falling. So yeah. we're not learning from what our feet yeah. are and telling you see, us. Gravity, you need to feel gravity. Absolutely. So for me, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, but this is quite personal, but Dr. Jacobs have known me for every single year of my life. Mm. And she also knew me as a little boy with very little coordination mm. until I started playing with a ball and playing tennis. Right. And I ended up with quite a good career in precision throw sports and Ball no, but you've got ball sense and um, obviously good coordination. Which was developed through playing and movement. Yes. Right. So it's, for me, these, this is these something skills that… Are, these skills are practiced. So we don't expect a baby of six months old to be able to walk, play tennis and, and, and run a marathon. We understand that there's a progression of skills. And I think parents understand that too. There's a reason that your baby lies still for the first few months. It's so that you can cope with everything else that's coming out of it. <laughs> you know, you, you, you have these little milestones so that as parents, we can grow in order to give our child what it needs. And, and if you think of anyone who has raised a child for the first, let's say five years, even those milestones are very quick. So they learn to roll over, then they learn to crawl, then they push up and they crawl a bit faster on all fours, then they start standing, then they start walking. It You can't run before you crawl. Yeah. And it's very important to roll over. And anytime you see an occupational therapist or a physical therapist or a neurotherapist, they'll tell you, we need to go back to the last milestone we missed. Because each of them has a purpose in mapping in the brain. So when we talk about or when we circle back to the topic that we're discussing is learning and movement. Mel, in your experience, you've been in education for the past 40 years, if not longer. Back in, back in the day when you were still teaching in, in secondary institutions, in other words, in schools, we didn't often hear the diagnosis or the word ADD or ADHD being thrown around. But today, every single person that walks into my office, when I ask them about the ability to concentrate and keep focus, they said, it's always been bad. I have ADD. Is this a diagnosis that we are giving children to Easily, because we do not follow the steps that Yvonne said, and that's missing milestones because of the inability or the inactivity of our children today. Yes, you see, Mark, it's uh, it's a dangerous topic hmm. to now say what is ADHD and who has it. I will not go on a radio program like this and question any diagnosis. But can I tell you, there's lots of labeling and people putting a name to, firstly, I don't know what's wrong. So 
the child is bored in class, uh, throwing a tantrum. So there must be a problem with attention deficit. So we all label autism. I mean, you, you will walk into a practice and just throw the word around and you'll hear people. Oh, I know somebody with autism. It's something that we never knew. I mean, we saw Forrest Gump. That's about yeah. the first thing I've seen of autism. So I think there's this labeling and it's easy. It's you read in a newspaper or in a Google article and you read this name and you think, okay, that, that child must have this. Um, I think back in the day they were just naughty and, and we just said, <laughs> sit on your chair, concentrate and listen. But it all goes back to, I think the first four or five years of any child. What's the attention that we do pay to firstly gross motor? Do we let them play? Do we let them hang and swing? Or are we telling them, no, 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 you're going to fall off there. Mm. Please don't I, go I, I there. Or you fair. don't have those things. No. Um, but, I mean, throwing stones or building a dam with mud, those are all gross motor, carrying a, a, a bucket right. of water. Um, so there's lots of things. And, I mean, our country is so... Diverse. I mean, we've got kids carrying water to their home, and I always admire these people because I know my kids do not even know where to get water other than a tap. So <laughs> there's, there's, there's lots of, I think, different ways to develop gross motor. And senses is quite different, but it's related. I mean, we, and as Yvonne said, our skin, our tactile learning, feeling, Touching, uh, it is so so important. Feeling affection, feeling mm. emotions, yeah. um, just uh, and I mean we know it. We we take a little baby and we we put them next to us and we hug them and they feel love and they they can actually you know they 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 just become part of your body. Those things we teach them and it goes through the skin. Now the skin is one thing. Eyes, what do they see? How do they perceive? How do they see depth? How do they perceive speed? How can they see movement? Comes back to reading. How do they read? Can they read from left to right? Which eye is the dominant eye leading or as we call it, tracking the text? And then we go to listening, hearing skills. Um, do they turn their head? Can they actually hear? Do we still, and I know it was previous century in our country we had, when I was in school, school's clinic sisters, they came around, they tested your vision, they tested your hearing, they gave you some other booster for uh, whatever oh, yeah. disease, polio <laughs> or whatever. It's not happening now. And I do think in many cases a kid now with an ADHD or autism label would have had a different label if they had their eyes tested Absolutely. and their hearing tested. Yeah. And Mel, I'd love to, I'd love to contribute on that. You know, I have a lot of children coming into my practice where they come in for a specific, we call them SOS signal. There's a specific behavior or skill that this child can't cope with. My hand goes up. So Yvonne, for the people listening, mm. can you? Highlight some of those symptoms, some yes, of the behaviors absolutely. that we can maybe look out for. So, so one of them, Mel's just mentioned reading. 
We have a lot of children who during COVID have not had the privilege of their grade R or grade one foundation in reading. And, and they've been at home with mom or online with schools and they now have missed out and cannot read and are expected to do grade one or grade two. A lot of those children have not had their eyes tested. In at least two to three years. When, sorry, Yvonne, would I interject there? Mel, um, as an optometrist, when do we, when do you need to check a I child's vision? I need to vision? know before a kid starts reading. That's before they go to school. I don't so need to know if it is binocular vision. I don't need 70 tests. I just need to know, can you see that letter at right. that distance? Can you distinguish this or that? That's all we need to know. Is it's this something very, that's usually done in kindergarten or in pre, pre-primary school? A very, very good and qualified teacher and a weird teacher who actually can pick it up, can obviously refer a kid. So but Mark, let's, when, let's just say this. If I've got 45 kids in my class. It's difficult. Um, you know, if I just have a look at each of them in a period, that would be a, a Nobel Prize. But, but Mark, when I owned a preschool, we did hearing screening every single year. And for those that were of concern twice a year, because you cannot recuperate a hearing problem if you do not deal with it at that age. If you have a need for grommets or whatever your doctor recommends, we need to address that early on. We can't recoup that at 13. We need to have that hearing checked often when they're young. Vision is the same thing. We checked every single year and we picked up visual problems, which are much easier to fix if we've got an eye that's tracking. I'm not an optometrist, but much easier to fix in a couple of months rather than waiting until you get to reading age and then you've got to spend much more time doing it. Okay. So we have people all over the country and all over the world listening to this. Some of them have access um, to practitioners, et cetera, et cetera, that can test this. Can we just in two minutes give our, our listeners advice, guidelines that they can do at home to just help to screen not make a diagnosis, just maybe I should go and spend the time so, over money to have a test. Mark, I think this is a, this is a parenting thing. We can't depend on our teachers to always pick these things up. As a parent, if you are seeing that your child is not enjoying books, is not tracking where the picture is, is not following you in the pages, loses interest quickly in a book because they maybe can't see it then go and have them tested. It does, it's, it's not a massive cost, and it is certainly worthwhile if you pick something up. If you pick nothing up, you go from physical symptoms, okay, what's the next thing? Are they not interested because of the topic of the story? It's a process of an elimination as a parent, and, and parents have great logic, but we always start with physical and then you start looking at what else could there be? If it's not vision, could it be hearing? Those two are the easy ones to test. Yeah, and and Mark, I mean, we, I think, uh, you know, I, when I sit in a car and and I I think back when my kids were at the back of the car, I said, "Can you see that? Can you see the traffic light is green? We can. You can do that in a taxi." 
and that and, and, and just draw their attention and just ask them. Read what do you see there? S A L E. If they can't read, just ask them. What does it look like? Numbers. A kid at five six would be able to distinguish the number one from two and three. So if a parent is aware or a granny, just the distance is about six meters. It's it's probably sitting on a toilet and putting something at the back of the door of a toilet. A letter, a picture, anything. Just holding it up and asking a question or two. Can you see the river? Can you see Little Red Riding Hood? Can you see that? Just That's all you need to know. In a story. Can That's you show you me where Little Red Riding Hood is? Or, or okay. number plates how on do, a car? How do, how do we check hearing? Because with hearing... We have different forms. We have air conduction. Now, so listen, for two people it? that battle with hearing, Mel and I both battle with hearing. Right. We also have bone conduction. So you can hear vibration through the bone and mm. you will hear noise, but you might not hear words. But as a parent, we're not asking you to diagnose. We're asking you to flag it. It's How a do you think it's, 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 it's this standing behind? So, so if your, if your child jolts at really loud noises, but doesn't respond to requests, there's probably a disjoint there. Yes. Okay. Okay. If, if your child is able to follow one instruction at age seven, but not two or three, then there's maybe a bit more auditory memory issues. Then it's not the physical, but you're looking more at the processing of it. But as a parent, all you have to do is screen. We just want you to go, wait, I think something's amiss here. Not diagnose it. Okay. So, Yvonne, other forms of behavior. So, Mark, we, you know, we, we live in a very different world where our children have different challenges to what we grew up with. Oh, yes. And, and it's coming through in education with, as you said, the labels of ADHD, um, we have a lot of children who have phobias and fears, oh, yes. separation, anxiety, so, so scared to separate from a person or a thing. Um, we're obviously seeing a lot of the, the dyspraxia, dyscalcula, where everything is reversed in maths Explain or in those English. Two big words. So, so you basically, everything is flipped over or reversed. And that is, that is essentially, the image. it is essentially the child's brain not putting the letter or the number on the page in relation to their body. And that's proprioception. We spoke about your your internal sense, the sense of knowing that the kitchen counter is there to put the coffee cup on it without looking at the kitchen counter. The sense of knowing how it's hard to throw, how Gut hard feel. do I throw Gut the feel. ball without smacking it through the window, but also it doesn't land right in front of me. It's that sense of how do I control my body and the things I'm working with from an internal sense. So these things all start with movement, as oh, we yes. said. You then get your sensory integration. So does what I'm hearing match what I'm seeing and what I'm feeling? So are all my five senses matching with that internal sense? And if those ones match, then we start looking at balance. So how do I now control myself in that environment? Taking responsibility, and that comes from dangerous play. And that is what our children are lacking. We have made our world so safe that they don't take risks anymore. And when I say risks, it's stepping from one 
stepping stone to another stepping stone, balancing on a log that's not on the floor, but maybe 30 centimeters off the floor. Risks. You have to take You've got to take the risk. There's got to be a slight danger. Our parents will answer something when they're like, just go out there and come back before before the street lights come back on. Absolutely. Start on. Simply, we're business and we often discuss this. When all of us here grew up, um, it was expected of you to go to school, play at school, come home um, after you've Cleaned yourself off because your Take pants your are uniform always off. dirty. Yes, if you stain that, you're dead. <laughs> Do your homework and then disappear outside. You, yes. or Until if, the streetlights came on. on. <laughs> um, or on a weekend, um, you were outside. If yeah. if we went for lunch to someone, the children were outside. outside. Yes. Um, and there, you fell out of a tree. Um, and you didn't have smart toys to play with. Mm. You it was not Lego and the fancy stuff. It was go out there, leaves, branches, grass, We have mud. a joke in our that house. Was it. My, my kids laugh at my dad because they asked him what his favorite toy was growing up in Namibia. And he said, a stick in a can. Yes. He used to hit the stick with the, against the can all the way from boarding school to the homework Place that he had to go to. Well, we, we had a game in Afrikaans, and Mel, you'll remember this, Keniki. Yes. Where you had two sticks. Oh, you guys were privileged. You had two sticks. Two sticks <laughs> that you that you would hit, and someone need to catch the stick. Fangom. So, yeah, and, and we've got a traditional game. I think it's a Zulu game. Three stockies, and they jump. From one stick to another, oh, like yes, long I jump. That. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of traditional it's like games. Scotch. It's excellent. Yes, absolutely. That was great. And skip rope. Okay, so, so we Mark, know my, that. My, my point that I was getting to is with all this movement and sensory integration, if those needs are not met, that has a reaction in your emotional, social, and intellectual fields. So if we don't have enough input, if we don't have successful merging of that, you get a child who is highly emotional. Yes. And and an emotional child cannot learn. It would be the equivalent of putting a child in a burning building and then giving him a maths textbook and saying, now let's learn something. You cannot learn when you are in emotional turmoil or panic as so many parents come to me and they've got these labels of fight or flight. It's not wrong. But if your child is in fight or flight, we're not getting any productive yeah. learning done. The next step from fight or flight, which is something that you taught me, is freeze. Freeze. Um, and when you're frozen, yeah. you know what? Your name is not – what's the girl in Frozen? Elka. What? Elsa. <laughs> Elsa. <laughs> okay. So, Mel, screens, screen time and children from a – from a safety perspective when it comes to their eyes. Um, how do we how do we marry the two? We know that if our children are not used to working with screens, by the time that they get to grade R, they are behind. Um, from that perspective. Are they? I don't think they are, but they might be if the whole rest of the class are acquainted with the screen. How do they marry? This is a arranged marriage. 
The parent is in control, not the kid. There's a, a, a 15 minute. There's before you get to play outside or go and play, then you can have 10 minutes. Nothing after six at night. They mm. cannot sleep. There's mm. after images. Um, but parents do not do that. I, I'm, and I've got, I've got experience. I can see it around me. Um, so screen time and I can, Tell you now, and I've got a student working on this as a PhD student now. What's the influence of screen time? Um, I don't want to sound as if I know exactly what's happening in China and in the Eastern countries, but just get on any train and you'll see everybody wearing glasses. It's got a huge impact on our vision and specifically our near vision. Our two eyes are locked in, in a very small distance. They don't relax. They don't. If you look up, your eyes turn out and you relax your muscles and then it goes into an accommodative spasm and then it's a muscle problem. So what we're seeing is that kids that's been exposed to tablets, screen time for a prolonged time will definitely be wearing reading glasses within their primary school years. I can guarantee you that all the data, all the articles, all the research that's currently been done uh, is, is evident that that's what's happening. Um, can we change it? As I said, it's an arranged marriage. Parents need to control this. I like parents, and I've got a few of those kids in my center where I teach, that tells all the kids um, after 7 or 8 at night, all the phones, all the tablets in the kitchen. But that's also mom and dad because the example we set is that we are busy with the phone all the time. Mm. How can you possibly tell the kids get off the phone if you are on the phone or working and, on your yeah, computer, well, working or doing Facebook or Instagram, whatever you're doing. So, and not, a, not near where you sleep because mm. I mean, then when you get up at night or before you even wake up, you're on that screen again. So just put all the digital devices in the kitchen where it's not accessible. I mean, and that's the way parents have to do. All the management of this is, is decisions. It's not good decisions in terms of what they're going to like, but let me tell you, this is educational, mature, adult decisions that parents will have to take. Otherwise, they're going to have huge problems in, in years to come. But, you know, Mark, there's also there's, – we're finding a massive – reaction to screen time and behavior and it's it's a terrible cycle that a lot of parents are on so when the child is on the tablet or has their screen time if it's in excess you have a withdrawal when your child comes off that that's that device there is behavior that is equivalent to withdrawal from a drug mm. so you have tantrums you have the I won'ts, you have the I, I don't want to's, um, and then they sit and they wait to be entertained, which then perpetuates the need for you to entertain them with something, which is either immediate, a toy or satisfaction. Absolutely. So the fact that they spend more time on a tablet actually makes the behavior worse. It's, uh, I, I often tell 
this experience that I had in um, one of Johannesburg's more popular breakfast haunts <laughs> in Morningside, where a family was sitting behind us on a Sunday morning with a, a little girl of about eight and a younger boy. And the mother was talking on her phone and the father was quietly sitting and eating. And this kid was constantly, I want my iPad. Mm. And eventually this girl just screamed at her mother and swore, an eight-year-old girl. Um, but did she get the iPad? She got the iPad. Well, that's no. why she's doing it. That's why she's doing Peace it. Peace and quiet. But you know, Mark, I, as a mother, as a mother, it would be so easy. Pop my kids in front of a device. Oh, yes. No guilt for me because they're not asking me for ever, anything. Somebody else is entertaining them. Absolutely. So easy. But as Mel said, this comes down to decisions. You decide you are in control as a parent. And if you're not, something needs to change. Okay, okay, so so what's happening? Kids are seeing stuff that they don't should see at that stage. Um, it's interesting. Are you mature enough to handle certain things? Yo, there's an age. That's why we drive a car at 18. We could possibly drive a car at 12. Um, there's reasons why we start drinking at some stage and, and some age. So what we find is firstly that they spend time on this when they're small and they watch all movies, but later on they start playing these games. Yeah, I was going and to And I've get had students who've played games, and I mean there's e-sports now, and but behavioral changes uh, where these kids get into this game and they, they get this avatar or whatever, and they become that, and their whole behavior is that. They do not do maths and science. They in this world, um, they wearing those clothes. They spending all their money buying new characters. I just want to know: Do parents actually sit there and see what's happening? It's aggression. It's war. It's killing people. It's yeah. swords. Um, that kind of aggression, and it's fine. It's like yes, I'm busy with fighting. So they go out and we start bullying people and we think this is going to be the perceived behavior that we're going to see. So there's, there's a world out there and I would just want to say to parents, take care. Still remain the parent. Don't yeah. become the friend. Don't become the best friend. You don't need to be the best friend. If you are the best friend, there's problems because you've got your own friends, please, parents. <laughs> but go and start Actually, censoring what's happening in your house, not, what's happening on watch. that phone. And you don't have to check. Your child will know this is how we do things in our house. But it's about taking responsibility. Exactly. Yeah. Be the adult. Just be the adult. But Mel, also, as you said, see what your kids are doing. I don't know if you've ever tried any of these kids' games. I get so anxious because they're so competitive. The, the anxiety of trying to keep up the pace of this game. And, and I mean, there's, there's one of the games, I don't even know which one it was, but I tried it. And you've got a balance on these platforms that are floating in midair. And I was so but anxious you, trying see, to keep up. Pro- this is the problem. Um, 
It's it's not actual balance. It's using your thumbs Abs- on a absolutely. joystick. That's, right. that's not it's coordination. Still, it's it's absolutely no benefit to your senses, but it brings anxiety and competitiveness to something that is not real. And that brings that emotional anxiety, besides the fact that you're not socializing with anyone. Let's okay. just get into that. Okay. So I want to bring this back to learning. How do we help our parents to teach? How do we help children to learn through movement and vision? What are the things that we should be concentrating on? The advice, we, we say midline crossing. What else? Yeah. The advice that I give, whether it is working with a 30, 40-year-old male or a young child, come back to balance. Is an iPad terrible? No. With balance. Take the time as a parent to also get off that device. Take the time as a parent to play the game with your child. It will benefit you as an adult, as much as it will them. And the skills that you have missed, instead of beating yourself up and feeling that guilt, start doing those basics again. Get outside. Ride a bike. Go and play with a stick and a can. Go and kick a ball. Don't overcomplicate it as a parent because there's enough guilt. There is enough of a schedule. There is enough of Everyone bombarding you with what you were doing wrong. Just get back to basics. If your teachers are flagging things in a classroom, ask your teacher, what would you like me to do at home with this child? And the answer does not lie on a black and white piece of paper. It, it remains, and Mel, disagree with me if you want to, it remains in a movement and solidifying those basic skills, getting that fight or flight settled within the reflexes, getting them back to a stage where their brain and their body is open to learning, and they can then start taking information in in a black and white form. But you cannot get information into that child and get them motivated to learn or even capable of learning if their body is so tense and defensive that the first thing they're going to do is react and it's going to be a knee-jerk reaction. All of these SOS signals, all these things that our children suffer with all come down to getting back to basics as a parent. I think playing is the first thing. And um, well, uh, explain kids playing. at the age of 18 can still throw little stones in a little Suckers thing. Suckers to go on a jumping castle. Exactly. Of course you, you can. You can play outside a soccer ball just kick the soccer ball because that's the way we relax our muscles and we learn to win and lose because that is another topic or i now see all these parents sitting next to the fields um now taking their kids to the better high school because then their son will be in the prettier cricket team parents are losing it completely so playing should just be that. Playing. Play cards. Yeah. Can you think all the math that you can Absolutely. teach by playing cards? Playing, Board as Yvonne said, 
Check the car in front. Say, what's the three digits that you see? I see one, two, and three. Now, quickly add them together. Do you get yeah. six? Now, subtract the middle one. You, you can just be by playing and making them aware of the environment without making this sitting at a table reading a book. But let me tell you, Mark, the thing I'm picking up and I'm working with students at varsity level and I'm working with adult children. They don't write. Yeah. Now, if you're busy with a digital device or just reading and think you can just read and then it goes into your mind, well, uh, I'd like to see how you do that. Sure Have a pen in your hand. Write down in your own handwriting so that your neurons in your brain actually, through writing, it's tactile, it's seeing. You can talk yourself through this. Yes. You hear this. That's the way you've got to teach yourselves. But parents who think that putting nice, very expensive things in front of kids is going to make them learn better or be the Nobel Prize winner in the next 20 years – I don't think that's the way it works. The basics, the way you were taught is the way your child will learn. The body didn't change. A lot of other things change, but certainly not our body. The way that our neurological system works will be the same forever. When, when I brought Yvonne into the practice more than a year ago, the thing that caught me, and I think, Mel, this is what you've just described, is neuroplasticity, the ability of our nervous system to form pathways. Mm. And what you've just described is walking um, in the bush once, and you might see a very fine tract. But when you walk that same path backwards, it's going to start becoming easier and easier to follow. And eventually, you see this little dirt track that's there where there's nothing that grows there. Mm. And you now can run along there. And if something's chasing you, you know the track. And you can take a sharp corner where the other thing will go on straight. And yeah. this is where neuroplasticity yeah, comes I in, do, where we teach the brain. Metaphor. If you do math or my subject science and you do it once, it's like a spaghetti. It can be broken. But if you do it once and another time and another time and do the same calculation over and over, you're sitting with a piece of macaroni, which you cannot break. And that's what you said. You've got to repeat and do And that's the same with your movement. Repeat, go through it again, repeat, go through it again. And that's the way, and that's grid, and that's persistence, and that's not nice. Learning has never been the nicest activity. That's why many people don't want to learn. It's not nice. To add to to that, there's there's two ways, and this is where I say parents get involved. There's repetition. Absolutely. A thousand repetitions forms a neural pathway. The more you do it, the thicker it gets and the more myelinated it gets, the more permanent it gets. It's That's brilliant. Practice makes or, permanent. Or practice makes permanent. I love that. <laughs> or you have option two. Okay. Add senses to it. Mm. As soon as you add senses to it, who remembers the smell of the food their grandmother made? 
Oh yes, cake. honey. And when you're describing right? that pudding, you're like, it's not like my Mind grandmother's bunny. pudding. No, no. As soon as chili <laughs> on a stove. There you go. As soon as you add your senses to it, it gets into a myelinated state quicker. So if you want to practice measurement with a grade three student, don't tell me you don't want to play with your, with your 10 year old. Bake with them. Bake because they have to measure it. They have to check the measurement. They have to convert it. They have to see, feel, touch. They can smell the baking. They can, so many of the senses are involved. Not just that. Think of the love language. You are giving your child time. Yeah. PSA, okay. like they might want to eat the ingredients. Absolutely. <laughs> but, but all of us did. But that's all of us. It's a sense. Please do it's eat leaking. it. It's, it's, but it's in baking, in that baking experience, and whether it's, it doesn't have to be something sweet, it can be dinner every night. Your child will learn to cook. How wonderful that at 13 your child is making dinner for you instead of you trying to make five different dinners for all the children who are being. Fussy. Fussy. Yeah. You know, those experiences, as soon as you add senses and emotion to it, they are much quicker than a thousand repetitions. So when you do license plate edition in the car, it is so much more effective than doing it on a page that's been printed and you say, sit down before dinner, do a hundred repetitions of that. Use it as an experience, as a learning experience, and it will be much quicker. Okay. So... I want to ask a couple of questions. Mel, we'll start with you. When we had Prof. Yanni here the last time, he spoke about the eye dominance, which I never knew about. You know what? I went through med school. I studied postgraduate studies. I never knew about an eye being a dominant eye. But it affects not only reading and tracking and following, but so many other things. Can you can you just touch on that for Very a second? Very briefly, Mark. It's a it's a topic for its own discussion, but it's exactly the same as having your one hemisphere crossing the midline, and and that's the problem. If you know you're right-handed, it's fine. If you know you're left-handed, you're fine. But do you know which eye is the dominant eye? No, I still don't eye? know. Now, it's usually the right eye and the right hand, which which is fine. But we do find cross-dominance, a right hand and a left eye, especially if there's something wrong. So you need to establish, what did we say a few minutes ago? Do you know, can your child see? And maybe with a very, there's simple ways of just determining which is the dominant eye. Because so- that takes time for the eye. There's a lag in time if it has to cross. And there's lots of things that the child will miss then because the, it's taking them time to see what, what's the teacher writing there because they're changing the left to the right eye. So that laterality, the movement across the midline, mm. that's one of the basic tests that you actually do before a kid starts reading Absolutely. or going to school. How do so, I test it at home? You can just lift your hand right up in front of you with a circle or with anything and then see which eye will look through that little circle. If it's the right hand or the right eye or the left eye, you immediately determine. So we, take a we, give, we give children a kaleidoscope Yeah, and you see which eye they put it towards. Yeah. 
or a scissors. You just hold the scissors in front. The, the person who's looking is doing that holding up, not somebody else. And then it's got a little eye and just see, is it the right or the left eye? And they can then close and you'll see, oh, the scissors is moving. So it was the other eye that was the dominant ah, eye. Okay. For me, that's very interesting because I'm, for instance, right-handed but left-footed. Um, I'm opposite, left-handed, but like right-footed. Yeah. Yes. So, um, okay. So <coughs> that becomes a problem. If it is a problem, if if your child, for instance, is right-handed, but Mark, but sorry, I'm going to stop you there. There is motor dominance, so physical dominance of hand and foot, and then there's neurological yes. dominance. Sensory they're dominance not the, as They're not well. the same. Yeah. Okay, so, so you can be a dominant right-hand person, yeah. and you catch and write with your right hand, but neurologically, from a processing point of view, you can be left-hand dominant, which is your communication style. We generally link to your left hand. Okay. So they are not the same. Do we teach these children or do they learn differently? I don't think they have to be taught differently. But I do think we need to be aware. And if there's a fallout or something that we start doing a little bit extra work or just being aware is much better than thinking there's something wrong and then there's nothing wrong, labeling a child. So I would again just screen early as possible, make a teacher aware that this is the problem, sit in front of the class. And as I, I'll go back to that over and over again, a tablet is going to worsen that condition. Yes. So, so Mark, what we do in, in my practice for the children is we do, there's two different tests that we do. We do dominance tests where we test the eyes, the ears, the brain, the hand and the foot. And the reason we do that is if you have one side dominance, so let's say you have the left eye and the left ear that's dominant, it communicates with the right brain. That's it crosses good. over. Yeah. So, the, the problem being when we have to go from a left to right dominance and a child is stressed, the middle of the brain, the corpus callosum shuts down, yes. which means your communication is not translated from one side to the other. And when I have a stressed child, they can't learn because they can't, they can't cross the input to the brain to process and it can't cross to the output. Yeah. And that's why we test it. So if you have a child who seems to have great hearing, have great vision, but isn't processing this properly or isn't communicating it properly, we may have a block because of stress. What do we, how do I, we identify those children? What's the typical behavior of that we child? We generally have a child who comes in who is struggling with a subject or a task at school and they are then presenting as ADHD or avoidance or um, the dyspraxia or dyslexia where they reverse things. Um, you'll have children who are extremely emotional about going to school, tummy aches. Those are the children who are stressed and not coping. And if your child is showing signs of not coping, it's not about the subject matter. Mm -mm. It's about getting the learner to the best of their ability. So it doesn't matter what subject they're struggling in. So you know, often I have dads go, oh, I struggled in maths. This is not your journey. This okay. is your child's journey. So we're talking about movement in these children to, to help with that. There's various different ways depending on what the prognosis yeah, it's, is. It's okay. not, it's a not general, one, yeah. one solution. Mel, when we were talking earlier about 
screen time parents being uh, in control of this, um, I want to go to one of your other strengths, and that's as a sports coach. Um, when when we, I would give my child, okay, you have 15 minutes screen time, but after that screen time to relax the eyes, we have to go throw a ball or chase the dog mm. or something like that. If we think of our kids, you know, let's say we start with our five, six-year-olds somewhere there. Um, they now in organized school, et cetera, et cetera. Some of the sports that or activities that you guys would recommend both as educationalists, um, as a sports coach and as a neurotherapist, what are some of the things that you think we could do with the kids at home if there's no organized sports or play? Mark, or- you opening a can of words. <laughs> I like doing that. You Parents, know I mean? um, and I'm not generalizing, want their kids to become Ronaldo. They have to become messy. And we, I hope parents are seeing the nice cars they will drive around if it's a little Ronaldo uh, in the bedroom be- beside you. The, the fact is the fundamental, do you hear the word I'm saying? The fun. fundamental of sports is fun. fun. And we've got a huge movement in South Africa, which we came, gave, uh, came from Canada, is play sport. We specialize much too early. Mm-hmm. We buy hockey sticks and tennis rackets when they barely can walk because they're going to be the next Rafa Nadal. Just play with a stick, very simple, and improvise. You can actually, by using your imagination, and then later on when they've got the balance, when they've got the all the the Area spatial awareness, legs, hand, feet, eye, hand coordination, then start specializing. But it's actually, and teachers know exactly what they do because they play with a ball and a little bag with sand in it. And, and they just do the distance and the depth and the height and the speed of something coming to them. And they do all of that in a team. But as soon as you want to special, I mean, we are, you open any newspaper and any Instagram and you see this proud father saying, this is my four year old and he's been playing golf with me. They burned out at 10. In China, they take little kids and they want them to win the gold medals in, in gymnastics, gymnastics. Mm. and they let them hang on little bars so that they can stretch and be subtle and be all of that when they're 11 and 12. Now, certainly gymnastics is a different sport to soccer, but let's just keep to fun, please. Parents, go reinvent yourself. Google what games can you play, but keep to the natural environment that's around you. Let them smell the tree, get a little piece of, uh, uh, as I said, leaves or a, a stick from a tree and play with that. Do not get too organized. Do not have too many rules. I mean, this whole world is full of rules. Just have fun. And that's the fundamental of sport. I have to agree with you, Mel. It's a, it's a matter of, 
when your child is having fun, you don't have to convince them to move. If they are having a good time, whatever sport that might be, they certainly will keep moving. They won't get tired as quickly as if you are forcing them to do something that is structured and ruled. I agree, Mel. Okay. So one quick last one. Our stressed children, these mm. anxious, ex- overexcited, scared children. Mel, you said something earlier that immediately reminded me of folding babies into burritos. And that's that, <laughs> that, um, tights, tight swaddling hug yeah. kind of thing. Um, I think as adults, one of the things that relaxes us most is immersion in water. Mm. Yvonne, for children with physical disabilities, what so, movement do we give these kids? Can we do water play? So, Mark, it, it really depends on where your child is at. And that's that's the other test that we do is we check their reflexes. We look at which reflex is, we call it, it's it's still active because our reflexes should go to rest. And whichever reflex is active, those are the ones that we address as far as what do we do to calm that? You know, we may have a child who just cannot touch anything slimy or sand or can't take their shoes off. Putting deep pressure onto that child is going to send them further into fight or flight. Um, or putting them into a, a bath of slimy spaghetti is certainly going to send them through the roof. Now, that might be right for another child. So they really do need to be assessed first. They need to, they need to go to an occupational therapist or a neurotherapist who can actually assess where that reflex is, what their sensitivities are, what is causing the panic before they can guide the parents, the teachers, and then have your, your therapist should, and I, I'm not going against anyone else's belief system here as far as occupational therapists, but your therapist should be involving the family. It should be a daily occurrence if you want to see progress in any form of therapy. No, you can't, can't outsource therapy. You can't send your child once a week and hope this is going to be fixed. Okay. Well, I think this was an incredibly enlightening thing, especially for me who do not have children. Um, I think so many of our parents out there are currently battling with balancing their work life and their family lives um, together. So, Dr. Melanie Jacobs, um, thank you so much for joining us. We will definitely have some follow-up conversations about this. And Yvonne van Beek, um, your speciality mm. is um, as an educationalist for special needs children. If any of you out there want to know something more or get in contact with us, the easiest way is to do it through the T-Clinic website. You can get hold of us on www.theclinic.com or Ali will field your calls and pass them on to Yvonne, and um, we can even ask Dr. Jacobs to answer Wonderful. some of your questions for more advanced learners. The number is 010-824-1393. That brings us to the end of the show. Sims, thank you. And next week we'll be back with uh, one of my other favorite guests, Dr. Susan Goslett, and we're going to talk about the perception of health. What is health?
That's a great mm, one. Mm, mm, Thank, you. Thank you very <laughs> much. Have a good day, everyone. That was The Tea Health Show, empowering you with knowledge. Download all previous episodes on your favorite podcast platform. The Tea Health Show is brought to you by The Tea Clinic.